Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 8. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We are excited to have Project Voice 2023 uh, about a month and a half away. It's getting a little closer. Um, we are in the process of releasing the charter, uh, the, the draft of the Ethics and Integrity Charter around LLM-based AI that the Conversational AI Leadership Council uh, we'll review and then sign at the conference. Uh, that's hot off the presses. We got a lot of things moving. It's exciting times for this space, and it's a great time to come together uh, with a great panel uh, of really accomplished folks. Um, so thank you for paying attention to the show and, and watching if you're watching on YouTube or listening if you're on your podcast provider of choice. Um, Marty, I'm going to start with you in terms of introductions. Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Sure. Sounds good. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Marty Sarum. I am. Uh, I wear actually a couple of hats, but I'll kind of start with, um, I run a microfund called Caria Venture Partners. Uh, we're a, a deep tech stack, um, primarily focused in call center startups. So if you think about just uh, early stage companies that are coming out with whether it's voice or text or any type of um, automation, augmentation tools for kind of the call center world. Um, I like to write the first checks in, the, in those companies. And so my background is operations, uh, been in the contact center space the last couple of decades. So I kind of see it from a um, ops level and I'm not a techie by, by, by trade, but my partner is, and we found kind of our niche in, um, in doing uh, a startup and, and um, you know, call center type uh, restructures of, of tech stack. So one of the companies um, I invested in that I'm spending a lot of time is with a company called Sonus. Uh, Sonus is the world's um, first and only um, algorithm that phonetically maps speech in real time. So if you think about anyone speaking with an accent, I can actually uh, convert that accent into a North American accent if they're Indian or they're Filipino and they want to sound like the local listener. Uh, we can convert uh, convert that in real time uh, via some uh, algorithms and and so um, yeah. So I'm spending a lot of time on that and thought it was a, a kind of a, a a good intro into this week in voice as it's a very um, techy voice product. So appreciate uh, you know Bradley uh, you inviting me and uh, nice to meet all of you. Marty, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for giving us some of your time. Next up, we have Greg Bennett from Salesforce. Greg, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, Bradley. Um, and it's great to be here. Um, I'm Greg. I lead the conversation design practice at Salesforce. Uh, my team and I were responsible for helping our customers scale their own conversational solutions for their customers. We oper operate across a handful of different industries, including but not limited to sales, service, um, education, et cetera. Um, and I really am excited for this because it's such a watershed moment uh, in the time of conversational AI and conversation design. A lot of the things that we've wanted to do from a design perspective are now much more uh, tangible and at our fingertips thanks to uh, the evolution that we have seen in large language models. So excited to dive in and provide the design perspective. Excellent. Greg, thank you for joining us. Next up, we have JP from SmartBots. JP, say hello. Hello, everyone. And pronounce your full name for us. Uh, I, I am born and raised in the South, so it takes me longer to do everything, including understand names. But give us your full name. Tell us sure. all about SmartBots. Sure. My full name is Jay Prakash, but very few people know my full name. I go by JP wherever I interact. 
and uh, yeah so uh, i am the co-founder at uh, smartbots and uh, i'm based in hyderabad india uh, which is the southern side southern part of india it's a beautiful city and our headquarters is in dallas texas so i keep moving between india us most of the time and uh, smartbot uh, we have been working in the conversational ai space uh, for the past 5 years building uh, chat and voice bots for large enterprises and uh, 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 this this knowledge whatever we have accumulated we have converted that into a studio which is going to be launched in april uh, next uh, april 26th to be precise and uh, some other interesting work that we have done is with amazon we have, we have partnered with amazon and we have uh, co we co developed a few uh, industry use cases uh, we have uh, developed and published them on amazon uh, uh, along with the amazon lex team so that by far has been one of our uh, uh, greatest works we have done so far and few other interesting uh, enterprise implementations so that's briefly about what smartbots is it's great to have you on the show thank you for giving us some of your time Next up, we have Daniel Lackland of AI4. Daniel, say hello. Hey, everyone. I uh, hope you're all doing well. Brad, thanks so much for letting me come on the show. Super excited to be here. Um, by way of introduction, my name is Daniel Lackland. I am director of content at AI4, which is an event organizer. We focus on organizing a big event once a year that focuses on AI for industry use cases. So, for example, we cover really everything from government to finance and banks to hospitals, um, all sorts of use cases, both from a business and technical perspective. And my role is basically to curate the agenda and just focus on what we teach people. So, you know, this conversation is super relevant. You know, we're really interested in all sorts of conversational AI technologies. And yeah, we're just super, super excited to be here. Uh, I think that's everything. I'm currently sitting in Medellin, Colombia. We're a remote company, so I'm doing some traveling. And uh, yeah, excited for the conversation. Yeah, it's great to great to have you be part. And uh, yes, we we do like to have other event organizers on here from other times. I I don't like being called an event organizer. I don't view myself as one. Other people do it better than we do. Uh, but uh, and y'all would be included in that. Thank you for taking the time to be part of the show with us. Last but not least, Chris Morrow of Amazon. Chris, say hello. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Morrow. I'm a uh, senior product manager of tech products at uh, Amazon. I've worked in Alexa in a, a variety of verticals from uh, since uh, about 2018. Um, so I've seen <laughs> seen a lot in that space as it's matured. I started in uh, entertainment use cases. I worked in the interactive fiction uh, category, um, launching a few of the things that sort of decorate the walls uh, behind me. And um, for the last two years, I've been uh, running the uh, books category for Alexa shopping. So um, around the sort of purchasing, acquisition and discovery use cases for, you know, the intersection of kind of interactive voice and uh, retail. So um, really excited to be here. These are some some great topics. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about and, and hear what the panel has to say. <clears throat> Chris, always good to have you here. Uh, thank you for making the time as well. Look, great panel. Uh, appreciate all of y'all. And with that, we'll get to the news. So story number one um, from Futurism. Uh, this is the first time that we have used this news source in eight seasons, uh, but an interesting publication. Chaos inside Google as execs try to figure out how to actually use AI. <laughs> 
that that's that's good um now i remember why i selected this article and put it first um so uh interesting piece it's an intense time it, this article goes through and um uh, I'm not going to say it paints an incredibly flattering picture of Google, um, which, uh, you know, good. Um, but uh, there's a lot of things in here that I think are, um, there's a lot of meat on the bones for, to this article. And I'm going to go in the same order that we did in the introductions. And so, Marty, I'm going to start with you. Um, interesting piece here. It, I think really well written. Um, what, if anything, uh, you know, what stood out to you about this article? I mean... It, it, it's not it's not surprising, right? Um, I think we've seen a, a, a you know the emergence of technology and and some of this AI uh, you know moving at such a speed that not everyone can keep up, and it's moving in a bunch of di different directions. And you know, being in early stage, I kind of see the I see it a, a little bit ahead of the rest of the world, and it's really something to just kind of it's it's hard to keep up with, right? And I think too many people are generalists in a lot and no one's really focused in kind of specific domains. And so, um, you know, I saw that article and I just kind of chuckled as you did um, because, it, but but to me, it's really not, it, 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 didn't, it didn't shock me. And I think that, you know, truth be told, I think there's a lot more than that than, than comes out publicly, so. Is is Google, um, and I'll ask you this too, and then I'll ask the same two questions of everybody. Is is, is Google, um, how do I want to phrase this? Um, how competitive is Google going to be with Google Bard um, to ChatGPT and other competitors in this space? Are they are they well positioned for the moment, or are they as poorly positioned as this article would let on? In your thoughts, Marty? Well, it, it, it's Google, right? So you can't ever understand Google. They're well capitalized. They have plenty of uh, plenty of brain power. I think they're possibly caught off guard a little bit um, when uh, ChatGPT came out, and and you know, with the whole OpenAI and Microsoft's bid, I think that forced them to to react quickly. And you saw, I don't know if you all of you guys saw that, but when they released. Bard, it wasn't necessarily the best Google type release. Um, and I think that was done very quickly um, as evidenced by kind of the flop and, and whatever. So I think they're in, um, I think they called it like code red or something inside Google, if I remember. And so, the, the, but uh, look, they're going to be fine. Like they're going to be fine. They'll figure it out. They're Google. Like you can't, uh, you can't underestimate Google, but it's been, it was, it's been fascinating to watch them get challenged. Like I haven't seen before. So. <clears throat> All right, so that's a decided vote of confidence in Google's corner, and, and it'll be interesting to see what what uh, how that stacks up with the panel. Greg, I'm going to ask you the same question: What if anything stood out to you about this piece, and how uh, relatively well positioned or not is Google for this moment we're in? Sure, I mean, I have to say, in in reading the entire article, the in retrospect the title feels a little clickbaity, um, mostly just because I think that go the sort of discussion that happened um, that they covered in the article felt pretty reasonable, I think. Um, you know, I personally, you know, in the advent of chat GPT and everyone kind of saying like, oh, it's going to replace search. I had the same question of, um, you know, it has a factual accuracy sort of weakness and search is about finding that accurate pinpointed answer. So why on earth would we use 
GPT or a large language model to replace search when that has, you know, a sort of fundamental um, uh, lacking, if you will. So, you know, I I wouldn't say that, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I am terribly surprised just because I think that, you know, from a media perspective, there's a lot of uh, catching up that a lot of folks are doing across the board. Um, if anything, I do feel that, you know, the recent discussions around large language models is kind of pressure testing the extent of everyone's knowledge around AI, which I think is totally fair. Um, people learn at different paces. That's all great. Um, but when it comes particularly conversational AI, um, it, I think it is important to stay with the facts and uh, zero in on the fact that, you know, uh, large language models do have an accuracy uh, challenge, if you will. And so uh, from that perspective, I agree. I don't think that large language, large language models are um, a replacement for search. Um, if anything, I think it's important to think through the augmentation of how it can be used for what it's good at. Um, large language models are really good at content generation. And so I, you know, I believe in... Uh, all organizations to really kind of figure out how they want to best apply that. And for what it's worth, you know, they have been in the space uh, of conversational AI and AI in general for like over 20 years. <laughs> so I can't, I, I can't assume that, you know, just because, um, you know, there are some perceived weaknesses around large language modeling um, that, you know, uh, it's, you know, maybe not ready. Um, I think that they, they probably are. It's just a matter of the market itself has to figure out what it wants. Um, right now, I don't think the market knows what it wants. I think the market is searching for buzzwords um, and looking for potential um, upsets um, across other markets. And that's really where I think this article kind of came from. No, that's a uh, that's that's an empathetic view toward Google. Um, that's a uh, that's that's a friendly that's a friendly view is what that is. Um, you know, that's uh, yeah. No, I, I would agree that uh, a lot of people don't know what you know. Who it's interesting, sort of uh, you know, uh, implicit in your your response was you know we really don't know where this is headed like. This, all of this stuff is not in final form and it's easy to forget that and and whatever the final form is maybe google is better positioned for that than we've given them credit for uh, i thought that was really interesting jp same question to you uh your thought on the piece and then just in your estimation how uh well or poorly positioned google is for this moment sure um i mean we have been discussing the business point of view like the race between google microsoft and if you purely look from the business perspective i see that uh google uh, definitely did uh, uh rush into this but i i want to uh, give a different perspective on the from the technology standpoint uh search as such as uh, the other uh, uh people here have mentioned Search is a different problem and generative AI, the technology behind generative AI is different. So we are trying to compare uh, the, in search we have page ranking. Page ranking is not just an algorithm, but it is two decades of uh, ranking, which we humans have done uh, uh, without our knowledge, we have been linking pages, correct? So that knowledge is already there in the search engine. Whereas on the other side, we have generative AI, which is trying to make use of uh, a different approach. It is all it has digested a lot of data, a lot of language, and it is trying to predict the next one. 
Now we are trying to force fit search on top of, I mean, we are trying to force fit uh, this generative AI for a different, for a search problem. So I don't think that from a technology standpoint, it would be uh, working uh, as replacing chat GPT or any generative model with, uh, uh, with a page ranking kind of algorithm. But uh, what I see is a middle ground where uh, the, the core of the search would still be page ranking and the interface would be generative, generative AI based so that the experience is going to be more conversational for the end user, but driven by uh, the page ranking. I'm just speculating, I'm assuming uh, this is how Google would be thinking and waiting and then uh, with the so much of uh, experience it has in search, it is going to solve the search problem. We are all fed up with the 10 links which are seen on Google page. So it has to get conversational. So again, so that's three, that's three in, in the Google, it, it, on the Google scoreboard. Um, y'all, y'all, y'all love yourself some, some behemoths, um, <laughs> which I think is predictable judging from, uh, the, the background of the panel. No, I agree. Look, I mean, I think Google, uh, the, the, the article is a little, um, I think clickbaity just to go back to, to an earlier comment is probably right. And, and the, you know, JP, I thought what you said is, um, is interesting because obviously you see, uh some middle ground in there as you described i thought that was interesting uh, daniel i'm going to go to you and then chris to you um same question um google are they um you know uh to, you know should they be written off like this article would clearly love to do or are they in better position than uh than maybe we've accounted for and any other thoughts on the piece yeah um, wow, I mean, I love everyone's answers so far. I'm super interested in this personally. Um, I'm sure this will be a very random response, but yeah, JP also, I have no idea if I personally even want, you know, from a search perspective to be interacting with a conversational AI bot or, you know, have a list of search results. And I'm super interested to see where that goes. Um, so these articles honestly made me think about just like the boom and bust cycle of technology as a whole. Um, you know, I think with like the virality of AI lately, I mean, I'm an AI event organizer. <laughs> you know, for crying out loud. And I even sort of think as painful as it might be to see a bit of like a, a sort of slowing, I think it could be helpful because I think, you know, we're seeing such craze around all these different technologies and all this excitement. And I think, you know, that is basically why you have what appears to be like a C-suite level meeting meant to address concerns about how this stuff is going to be used, where the answer is like, we don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, I mean, it's absurd, but I think, you know, that is why. Um, I think that's why. It's, and there's such praise. And, you know, we're sort of like, I think, ignoring that sort of age-old idea around entrepreneurship and just doing anything hard in the first place, which is, you know, it's often very helpful to just start with a business problem instead of starting with the cool, new, exciting AI um, or piece of technology more broadly. And so I think that's what's going on. I think that's why this article was able to basically roast you know, all these great people who are doing cool things because it's unclear how this technology is going to be used. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. I had another thought. Um, yeah, that was really it. And then, yeah, is Google positioned well? I, I'm actually going to take a contrarian view. I think, historically speaking, you know, um, even though Google is a bit of an anomaly because they're, you know, so focused on, you know, R&D, I think, you know, you see the most 
impactful innovation happen at a smaller level historically in business as a whole. Um, and even though they're really well equipped with you know lots of resources, you know, in this setting, I don't think they're super clear on exactly what's going to be helpful. Um, I think that really the way they're positioned most successfully is in search, as JP said. But I think that, you know, unless that ends up being the most useful thing that, uh, you know, LLMs can deliver for society, and I'm not sure that that's the case at all, I think actually there probably will be other organizations that solve a more important problem eventually with it. So anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. Yeah, because you know, um, that's that's sort of in in parallel to an earlier thought. We really don't know what the problems, the full scope of the problems are um, that uh, that these LLMs will ultimately be able to solve. You know, to the accuracy level that we that we want. Chris, I'm coming to you for the last word on this. Um, and uh, you know, you, you're. You got a unique point of you know unique point of view just being part of the Alexa team, but uh, from where you sit, uh, how does Google look to you? Uh, you think it's all uh, a, a bit overblown, or you think they're in uh, they're in some sort of jeopardy? Um, as I read the as I read the article, I you know I I concur. I mean, it it seems like a you know a journalistic piece capturing a moment in time during crisis management. You know, I, I think if, if you were to take an hour long meeting from, uh, you know, any period of any product I've ever launched, in, you know, a week before launch, the product, you know, the, the, the headline would be something like everything's on fire, uh, bugs everywhere. You know, I mean, it's, it's that sort of, there's, there are moments in crisis where if you take that snapshot and that's the storyline, I mean, you know, it's, I think that's that to me, it, it felt a little bit like, you know, OK, but but, you know, what was the two weeks leading up to this? And then let's see what's the you know, what happens over the next six months to, to me, I think fundamentally. I, I think I, I do think Google is well positioned. I mean, I think if because to me, open AI's the, the chat GPT's success demonstrates that we haven't finished evolving the way that humans interact with computers and that there is a lot of appetite for a uh, an easier more casual way to interact with a computer and to get an output from the computer and to me that's what the the you know the question is around and, and i agree with some some of the earlier comments around it's the solution is probably not pure llm for llm's sake it's probably a combination but the overall lesson being this is a shift potentially in the way that you know we are enabling humans to interact with with technology uh and i'll say that you know i always go back to i was i was in this talking to a uh, friend of mine you know in the book the innovator's dilemma and you know it, to me this feels like that moment of the innovator's dilemma where you know where the incumbents are probably going to choose acquisition, uh, you know choose they choose acquisition or be disrupted, um, because I I think that's why we're I think that's why we're seeing some of the reactivity, uh, you know, in the the yeah the rushed launch with Bard. I mean that's a that's a bummer, uh, hundred billion dollar bummer. I think, um, you know. And some of that reactivity being 
what do we, you know, what's the what's the problem? Not being clear on what's the you know what's the problem we're solving. Um, I do think where it could fail or potentially could end up being a metaverse type, you know, uh, you know, type moment of if the approach is we need to find the use case that's scalable that becomes a pillar of the business and don't you know work backwards from what's the customer value you know it's interesting to to think about um you know we talked a little bit on the show about this last week and it's come up a couple times this season where there's this trend in tech to get smaller and you've had, um, you know, different approaches to this. You've had Elon Musk explicitly state, we're going back to startup mode. Um, you've had other companies uh, be more um, opaque about, you know, not really revealing that they're going back to startup mode, but they're going back to startup mode. Um, and, um, you know, it's interesting just to, to view Google from that lens because it's almost like there's Newtonian physics involved where, you know, they've kind of been a body at rest for a while, you know, and, and are they able to get back into like a wartime um, mindset? And I've actually, the, the next new, not to plug the newsletter, but the next newsletter is going to address this. There's going to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing in this space, it's, it's, it's time for a different mindset being brought to the table and a different level of competitiveness uh, and I'm talking startups to big tech, every and everybody in between, um, than maybe what this conversational AI space was used to. Um, you know, because like Chris, you're a perfect example. You know, you go back four years ago or five years ago, pre-pandemic, to the Alexa team, uh, and you say, "Hey, uh, describe to me how Alexa is better than Google Assistant." I actually did this. Uh, there was a conference over in Europe that. Uh, Amazon and Google were both co-presenting on Alexa and Google Assistant. I was like, the hell is this? And they're like, oh, well, why, why wouldn't this be the case? So, and, and, and both sides, you know, you, it, it was tough to pull out a negative word, you know, about from one to the other. And I think there's, there's, uh, there's a time and a place for that level of collegiality, but uh, I'm not, I'm, I think I, what I see out of this and this piece, it is a little clickbaity, but it, to me, it's, it's a bit of a, um, a sign that the the tone um, and the atmosphere of the whole technological domain is is shifting, um, and uh, it's a much more competitive space now. And I think that's probably for everybody's uh, probably for the best uh, for everybody involved. Any closing thoughts on this piece before we move on? No, those were great. Those were great comments. Um, so uh, next up, um, haven't featured a Seeking Alpha article in a while. Uh, but really love their work. Uh, the headline is Amazon, Alexa troubles, but deeply undervalued intrinsically. So that's not the easiest to read bunch of words. Uh, but this article um, really dives in deep on uh, on Amazon um, and, and paints an interesting picture. And Chris, I'm going to start with you and go in reverse. Um, you know, might as well start off with, with our, our Amazon representation here. Um, before we get to people who will let, who will uh, speak with with greater transparency on the topic, um, you've worked for Amazon for a while. You know them inside and out. Um, your thoughts on this piece? 
Well, obviously, there is a significant body of the of the piece that I uh, will just leave on, you know, leave untouched. Um, I, I do think that, you know, where, where the where the article talked about, you know, one, you know, not walking away from Alexa. I think that was a, you know, there was a question, I think, you know, earlier this or maybe it was kind of late last year. There was some press around, you know, um, are we are we walking away from Alexa and that, you know, that certainly not not being the case. Um, but then this other, the, you know, sort of the next piece around the experimentation and, you know, are we willing to, you know, to what extent are we willing to experiment? And the answer is, you know, um, we have a healthy appetite for experimentation, you know, always looking for that. What is that, you know, kind of that customer value. Um, but I, I do think that now there's more, um, at least from, I think from what I'm seeing, there's more focus than there was, you know, I think you kind of remember, you know, back in the 2018, 2019, you know, just just kind of trying everything. Um, and it, and it, I think what, what it, to me, what I'm seeing is that there is, there's more focus on um, what are the sort of the successful, what are the successful use cases? Um, I'll probably, I'll probably leave it, probably leave it there. No, that's great. <laughs> I appreciate you being willing to say that much. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting piece. And I think you, you, I mean, you nailed it. We, we all remember, um, and I think it was to Amazon's credit, you know, trying everything from, you know, I, I still have my echo buttons. You remember the echo buttons um, to, uh, to all, you know, they experimented, Amazon was willing to experiment, not just with features like software side stuff, but hardware side stuff too. And I'd said for, you know, you can go back and there's probably 50 examples of this on the show of me saying something to the effect of Amazon does not get credit nearly enough for that fearlessness. Um, and I think it will actually serve them well moving forward. I appreciate those comments. Daniel, I'm going to go to you and then continue to work backward through the previous order. Um, this is an interesting piece. Amazon is in a strange position where they are the underdog. Nobody's talking about them. They're off the radar. Um, you can, you know, that's super strange. I want to get your thoughts on the piece and, and uh, you know, just, just how it struck you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think there's a few things going on here from my perspective. I think it's too early. First of all, the article refers to, you know, different conversational AI technologies. It's like first generation, second generation. And I kind of struggled with that and thought, it's a little early to kind of know what's going to happen in this sort of language model race that we're in. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting that, you know, the product of Alexa is being undervalued by certain groups, whether it's in Amazon or outside. And yet, you know, people are obsessed, like I kind of said earlier with this, you know, these pieces of technology, these tools that aren't even products, you know what I mean? And I think that's kind of says something, although what it is, um, you know, I'm still figuring out, I would say. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think, yeah, Amazon was an early pioneer in this, in this space. And, you know, Chris works on, I mean, it's like the most Amazon, Chris, you work on the most Amazon thing that Amazon does, right? Voice, using Alexa to buy books, right? I mean, you know, it started as a bookstore, you know, it's kind of this like pure ideologically Amazonian, you know, thing that you do. Um, and, you know, it, it works, you know, it's, you're, it's, a, it's a valuable thing that people can use. And it helps, you know, bring people back as a marketing tool to, to Amazon instead of using a competitor. So I think, 
you know, there's a lot of value there. And I think, you know, once again, my basic opinion is that in this gigantic large language model race, I think a lot of companies are basically putting the cart before the horse. So yeah, and and good call on pointing out that Chris is a is a true blood. You know, um, that that's that's a really interesting point. I I really hadn't thought about that, but you're right. It's Amazon on top of Amazon with a with a sprinkle of Amazon on top. Um, uh, JP, I'm coming to you. Um, interesting piece here from Seeking Alpha, just on where Amazon is. Want to get your thoughts? Sure. Uh, the the article here uh, talks about two parts. I mean, I would like to separate the Alexa in trouble and then the deeply undervalued uh, concept, right? So deeply undervalued, I frankly don't have an opinion. I mean, I'm not able to interpret anything from that part of the section, but being a techie, I would like to focus more on Alexa's trouble. And what I feel is, uh, keep. Uh, let us look at uh, without the LLM and the chat GPTs of the world as such, Alexa in its natural growth, uh, uh, is uh, uh, dependent on, say, the retail business. I mean, the, the way Alexa was started was to promote the retail business uh, so that the, that would act as a channel for more business flowing onto the retail channel. Um, I, I, I think that kind of a, uh, uh, approach for getting more business into retail is questionable because uh, conversational AI or this kind of interfaces are not solutions for every kind of a problem. We need conversational AI fits only in few places, like getting uh, 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 an idea to get more business through voice uh, into the retail channel is something which I uh, doubt. Uh, instead, uh, the focus of Alexa, if it shifts, I, I believe to tell my view, it is in trouble. And uh, uh, to sh to get back, Alexa should be focusing on increasing the number of conversations which people have. Right now, you have only one turn. You just ask, what is the weather like? You don't continuously converse. If that depth of conversation increases, and that will convert to more business. I believe uh, uh, the number of increase in number of interactions with Alexa will increase the business. So yes, I feel it is in trouble keeping aside the the recession impact or keeping aside the LLM uh, impact. As such, it was, it is, uh, it has to be on its own and should survive on number of transactions. Yeah, that's an interesting way to phrase that. Um, the, the the more turns in the conversation that it generates, the more economically viable it's going to be to within the company and externally. That's interesting. Uh, Daniel, I'm coming to you. I mean, not, not sorry, not you, Daniel, Greg. Um, I'm coming to you and then to Marty uh, to close us out on the story. Want to get your thoughts? Interesting piece, covers a lot of ground. Your thoughts on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that stood out to me, I mean, uh, I'm sure you all are aware, like I operate mostly in a B2B space. And so what they're referring to in this article has a lot to do with B2C use cases, which I think are frankly difficult in their own right and um, in a very different way than for B2B. And I really draw sort of, it reminded me of, you know, sort of my days in linguistics, um, sort of studying how people communicate between each other. And if there's anything I've learned from that, it's that language is playful, that humans like to play with language. It is the, you know, conversation is the fabric with, you know, or the currency with which we sew the fabric of humanity, you know? And I think that for voice assistants in particular, 
um, LLMs kind of lend themselves quite well to that. If there's anything that we saw around all of the public discourse around ChatGPT, people were playing with it. People are trying to figure out, you know, hey, write me a limerick about the new Marvel movie, you know, and what's to say that people wouldn't be able to do that with a voice assistant? You know, if I'm going to go visit my dad, who also has one of these devices, and he asks it to play fart sounds, you know, <laughs> what's to say that people wouldn't be able to say those things verbally as well as, you know, not just via chat. Um, and I think uh, to sort of uh, plus one, what you had said, JP, uh, the large language models in, in the intersection with voice assistants kind of give us that turn-taking depth that previously was really expensive to create. But now, if you're kind of leveraging the best of what a large language model can produce, you get that depth of turn-taking, you get that deeper interaction that you could potentially have for a playful and fun use case. I think the challenge is, as you're sort of working on the experimentation around it, is finding the monetization of that use case. So, you know, potentially you could use a large language model to help deep in turn taking around giving advice or suggesting a particular product. Um, but all of that really depends on the integration of that model with your system, with your inventory, with all of the data that sits there. And that introduces so many more questions about privacy and IP. Um, but I do think that sort of zeroing in like, um, like Chris, like you said, on, on these focused use cases and figuring out what benefit are we going to give the user is the benefit play because that has its own benefit and we can can we figure out how to monetize that and then work backwards from there um one of the things that i feel like i'm noticing in the industry right now is i i feel like everyone is trying to just plug every appliance they have into a socket as quickly as possible for the sake of just trying to maybe you know stay competitive stay relevant without actually thinking of like what benefit is that to the user um and maybe that's just because my background is in design and so i always think of okay what is this going to do for the user um but you know what happens when you plug in all your appliances you overload the breaker you run up your power bill you know thinking about how we're going to use this tool and for what ends and therefore how do we monetize it i think working backwards from there and daniel i think you had alluded to this a little bit earlier that's really where i think the success will come yeah no i think that's well said you know um amazon did almost everything I mean, they did so many things right but uh and they had some commerce driving through alexa right you know in the before in the before times is that what we're going to call before chat gpt or, or maybe we call it before the pandemic. Either way, uh, in the before times, uh, you know, Amazon did some things right with commerce, but not enough. Um, and uh, I don't think it takes any any rocket scientist to realize there's conversations going on in that company to figure out, okay, when we show back up again to this party, uh, how do we improve upon that? Marty, I'm coming up to you for the last word on this piece. Interesting piece. Uh, your take. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I'll speak on the on the valuation side. I think, um, and some of the comments that were made earlier. You, you know, I think it's it's fascinating to watch not just Amazon, but all these tech companies, these big tech companies, scaling down and going into kind of startup mode, and and that's what's built these businesses, right? Um, as an operator, me, I'm you know hard hat, lunch pail, go to work, roll up the sleeves, so I'm always in startup mode, and I think. What we're seeing now is these massive layoffs of tens of thousands of people. Everyone's going, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, there was so much bloat because of valuation, 
right? Funds were raising, valuations were going crazy. Like it had to stop at some point. And teams were, people within organizations just thought, hey, everybody else is scaling teams. So I might as well scale teams. And you create this massive layer of just, um, I don't know, call it red tape in an organization that you can't quite move and you can't be as innovative and, and, and some of that stuff. And so, you know, kind of going back to Amazon, like, you know, they grow, I think 20% uh, quarter over quarter, like that's not bad. I'll take that all day long. Um, not to be a fan of all the big fang companies, but again, it's Amazon. So tough to bet against a company like Amazon. Um, and then I think Bradley, you mentioned, um, you know, taking bets and taking shots. They take a lot of them and a lot of like you, when you, when you, when you take that many bets, you can't always be right. Like no one can always be right. And they've been right way more than anyone's given them credit for. So it's like, you know, I believe in like the smart speaker concept and and somebody said earlier about how humans interact with AI in a more friendlier way and, and that kind of thing. I, I believe in that concept. And, and so, you know, they, they, people can laugh at that and say, oh, it's a silly idea, but there's a there's a whole bunch of other stories that were silly ideas that people laughed at that no one believed in and, and they turned out to be successful. So again, like between, valuation, like in terms of dollars, nobody knows, you know, are we at the bottom? Where, where is valuations in a, in kind of tech companies? No one knows. Like, obviously it, it was way frothy last year. Um, this year's a correction, perhaps next year's a, a, another correction. We don't know, but um, yeah, again, like Amazon's valued pretty nicely positioned pretty nicely. And, and they're, they're working on some big things that they only got to get a couple of them right to continue to hit their trajectory. And, and again, um, I, I'm a believer in that. So, yeah. No, yeah, no, your, your, your points are well taken. You're right. The, the, you just touched on the valuations for a minute, the, the, mar the market, um, you, when you overlay the macroeconomic conditions of the last few years and the the flux of it all on top of the velocity of change with the underlying technology that all of us are working with with conversational AI it's been confusing um you know it's uh, get get the map and compass out and get your abacus out and you know let's try to figure out what it is we need to be doing and to the extent we need to be doing it um it's 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 been a strange time. And I think that your comments really, you know, touched on that. It's great comments all the way around. Um, but uh, I think the ultimate takeaway is y'all, y'all, y'all like your big tech. You know, y'all, this panel likes this big tech. Uh, that's uh, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Um, I want to make sure we got enough time. We got ten minutes left. I want to close with uh, this article from the New York Times. And I will mention when I sent this article out, it was not paywalled. And then now, when I click on it again, it's paywalled. But it, it really doesn't matter. I'll, I'll paraphrase the article. Uh, it's called A New MASH Scene, written by ChatGPT, read by Hawkeye and BJ. So uh, this is a New York Times article that, um, just to paraphrase, it's it's uh, ruminating on uh, the future of content, you know, media and entertainment um, in, in the ChatGPT, LLM, AI era. Um, and uh, MASH was not a show that I watched by choice. Uh, one set of my grandparents decided that having that on the TV was a good idea. So I was exposed to that uh, at different points in the past, uh, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm being harsh. But uh, Marty, I'm going to start with you and go through the original order. 
you know, this the 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 nuts and bolts of this piece are kind of secondary. But I, I really just want to ask you, um, yeah, I'll say one more thing. So I'm watching Picard right now on Paramount Plus, and the reason I'm watching that, I grew up watching Star Trek Next Generation, which is my favorite show of all time. And the opportunity to see Patrick Stewart and some of the old actors participate in the, in in this storyline in this universe one more time is too good to pass up. And I think the the uh, the the prospect, the potential, some of some of it at least with ChatGPT and the like, is to have universes that extend far beyond uh, what the humans involved are ever capable of delivering. So my question for you and the rest of the panel would be: How do you view the future of media and entertainment in this ChatGPT era. Do you think ChatGPT is a threat uh, to entertainment and th a threat to the monetization, or do you view it as uh, just sort of a, a fantastic extension and, and a revenue, huge revenue windfall for them? Your thoughts? Um, with eight minutes left only, this is quite a topic that I'm sure we could go in a bunch of directions, but I'll just quickly say like, I think the short answer to your question is nobody knows, right? Every day, ChatGPT is doing a use case that people aren't thinking about, and it has multiple, multiple ripple effects, whether it's um, infringement or whether it's recreating um, music and, and movies and, and this MASH show. And I wasn't a MASH fan, or I never watched MASH, but so I didn't watch this one. But um, we just don't know, and we don't know for we're, we won't know for. I don't know, maybe a couple of years, because as it creates things that go beyond what we can even imagine, it's going to have rippling effects. And then it brings up the ethics um, conversation. And then it brings up the, you know, monetization, who gets credit for what, how do you, how do you, you know, you use my information. It's, it's the flip between um, search engine and answer engine. And there's so much to be said about if you can ask something, some, if you can ask the, the question and you get the response and it can build and think about like build it, taking um, uh, pictures and taking that and putting that all into, you know, text to pictures and, and, and feeding that through the, the models and all of that. So short answer, I don't know, man. We'll, <laughs> we'll, take, we'll accept that. We accept that around here. Greg, I'm coming to you. Uh, so you heard Marty's uh, ruminating on the topic. Want to ask you: Is ChatGPT and the ChatGPT era good for entertainment or bad for entertainment? You know, I, I don't work in entertainment, so I can't say for sure. But what I will say, as someone who works in conversation design, has been asked a similar question: Like, is ChatGPT good or bad for us? I mean, I can imagine that you know, producing content is a challenge, an expensive one at that in um, the entertainment industry, and so I think there. Are you know, it's important to think through like how GPT or any other large language model can be an enhancement tool. Um, you know, I wasn't able to see sort of like the quality of the MASH episode. I think I might go back to chat GPT and ask them to write a Golden Girls episode personally, and then really judge and find out, okay, how good are you? Because as a massive fan of that show, um, I hope you get it right. But all that to say is you can't just make chat GPT a showrunner. You know, I think there's always going to be the need for a human to curate what comes out of the model. 
Um, so could it potentially, you know, enhance or, or, you know, grow the roles? I think we have yet to see that. I think, you know, what Marty, you said about, you know, questions around IP and uh, sort of the legality around it. I think that's going to be a big piece. Um, but I do want to sort of counter with another article that I saw just yesterday in the Atlantic called Prepare for the Text Apocalypse. Um, so GPT or in, in other lang large language models, they are trained on what kind of content is out on the internet. And the more sort of LLM produced content that we end up with out, out on the internet, we end up with this sort of like self-feeding cycle um, and it does make me question like whether or not we have a degradation of quality in the content that it can produce um, and would that potentially start to seep into entertainment use cases i could imagine so yeah no complete agreement and it, you're right about humans need, needing to stay in the mix you know if i ask chat gpt give me a new episode of star trek next generation and in, in the first paragraph it talks about the enterprise blowing up I would say chat GPT, delete yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know who knows what it would say in response to that. But yeah, they, your uh, your point's well taken. JP, coming to you. Uh we're in a strange era with chat GPT. Good for media and entertainment or bad? Yes, I, I agree with what Greg was mentioning about uh being the uh chat GPT uh, being used as a tool uh, for enabling creative people to develop content. Uh, and uh, uh, to answer the question, I don't think ChatGPT is a threat uh, for the creative industry. But the the next version, let us call it, say, Creative GPT instead of Chat. We use a new version of GPT, which uh, say right now GPT is trained. I mean, the, there is a layer of reinforcement learning which is used, correct? And for reinforcement learning, what the GPT team has done is actually used humans to train, pick from or reorder the, the answers which GPT has given, and that's how they were, they have trained it. Imagine we replace those uh, humans with real creative people. So the the creative insights uh, in picking up the right answer would go into the model, and then the model would be optimized, and we can call. I mean, I'm sure that is how more and more different types of uh, uh, GPT GPT based models would come out in the future for creative industry, for uh, a travel industry, or for various other industries. You'll have different different models, and those will do a better job than what Chat GPT is doing. And that I believe could be a threat. I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it as a threat. It is more a better tool than what Chat GPT is today for the creative uh, people. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to, to ponder what, what comes next uh, with all of this, rather than just talking about what's present. Daniel, I'm coming to you. Same question. Chat GPT, good for meeting enter entertainment or not? Yeah, I think there's layers to it for sure. Um, you know, just on a personal level, I'm very excited for, you know, the, the relationship uh, between AI and all sorts of creative tasks to sort of grow, because I think creativity is basically poorly understood in humans. And I think there's been this kind of underground effort for a long time to sort of, you know, recreate the human brain with, you know, AI algorithms. I mean, neural, neural nets are, you know, largely based on, you know, what we think the brain is like. And so I'm hoping we do get some insights into creativity from AI. That'd be pretty cool. From a tangible impact perspective, I think even if the AI tools are made exactly as they are, which will almost certainly not happen, you know, you have a helpful automation tool for writing a script. 
right? And they say good writing is often good editing. So I think it, at a base level, we already have like a juggling of tasks. Um, is that a threat? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, one other salient question, you know, in this debacle is that, um, you know, once AI starts you know, inventing things, basically, which is already happening, you have this intellectual property thing, as someone else mentioned, I think, that needs to be addressed. And now you probably need a bunch of lawyers, human lawyers, to work through that, right? Because I don't think we're going to trust, you know, boss to think about that. And the legal field is often one where people talk about, you know, disruption being unhelpful for, for jobs and positions. So it's a good example of how, you know, one neighboring field, like a little bit of change and, and sort of new tasks being ascribed to bots, ends up creating a new field uh, with more work to be done by humans. So anyway. So you've gone from uh, uh, savoring and relishing the uh, love of big tech to now wanting to give more and more work to attorneys. Okay, so <laughs> I, I see how this is going. Um, oh, wait, go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. And uh, no, Chris, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, super interesting piece. Uh, ChatGPT, good or bad for media? So I'll, uh, I'll plug a, there was a game that came out recently called Pentiment. And I would highly recommend it because it is a uh, medieval, it's set in the medieval period, right at the inflection point of the printing press becoming uh, popular. And the, the protagonist is an illuminator. He's an artist who, who makes money by illuminating ancient texts, the, the way of publishing books you know, at the time. Uh, it, is, it is fascinating, the parallels between the, the sort of what's captured in that game and sort of what we're seeing with this conversation specifically. I think uh, I, I think it'll end up, the, the industry will adapt. What I suspect is that it's going to make real, con real human content more expensive. And I, I would just, I love old books. This is a book from 1871. It is leather bound. It has, you know, the, the sort of like gold leaf. It has gorgeous paper. It has these lithograph prints. To get the same book today, this is a, a book that was printed in like 2015. This is over $250 because they don't run a book of this quality for mass printing. What you get is, is something like this with a dust jacket. And, you know, you can see it's kind of already like falling apart. What I think is going to happen is that there will be tears of available content that you'll have, you know, fully AI generated, you'll have partially AI generated, and then you'll have all human. And you're going to pay more to get a, you know, a, a verified, bona fide novel from Stephen King versus Stephen King written by Chris Morrow, adapted uh, with assistance from novel writer GPT. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm actually in complete agreement with that. Um, and, uh, and and spoken like a true Amazon employee, I might add, with all the books uh, at your at your ready. Um, look, great episode. Great, great job. Great comments from the panel. Thanks to all of you for giving your time, sharing your experience and expertise with not just me, but the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. For season eight, episode eight, of this weekend voice thank you for listening on your podcast provider of choice watching if you're watching us on youtube until next time